The first reading is from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the people of Judah and his pleasant planting. He expected justice but saw bloodshed, righteous but heard a cry. Thanks be to God. Amen. Matthew 21, verses 33 to 46. Jesus tells the parable of the wicked tenants. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants, they beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? <clears throat> he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who will produce his, its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, 
but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of our hearts and minds be ever acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Some of the parables mentioned in the Gospels are, are very obscure in their meaning and at times Jesus deliberately intended them to be hard to comprehend. But there are also those parables where on the face of it it's very apparent what they mean. Surely our parable for today is almost impossible to misunderstand. The parable of the tenants of the vineyard I've always interpreted it as when people start messing about in vineyards and producing bad wine, then they make God angry and are rightly punished as a result. Maybe I've misunderstood and misinterpreted the parable and its true meaning. Maybe my agenda has got in the way slightly there. The beer manufacturer Carlsberg, with its uh, TV adverts, has the strap line, probably the best. They try and think in their adverts about what an ideal version of, say, going to the barbers or a supermarket or a kickabout in the park might look like. And if Carlsberg did it, then it would probably be the best in the world. All part of their claim that their insipid strain of unpleasantness is probably the best beer in the world. Well, following that idea, if Carlsberg did first century Judean vineyards, then they would probably have been like the one Jesus describes in the first verse of our Gospel reading for today. The landlord has gone over the top in preparing the ideal vineyard. The soil has been prepared. All the latest in security systems to protect it and a state-of-the-art wine press to ensure the ideal crop for the perfect vintage. Petrus 86, you have a rival heading your way. All of this reminds me of that conversation that God has with the very first humans at the end of the sixth day in Genesis chapter 1. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And so it was. God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. I think those hearing Jesus' parable for the first time, all those centuries ago, would have been similarly reminded that God created the world as a good place, and God created each of us to be and to do good. If Carlsberg were making worlds fit for human flourishment, they would probably have made our own earth. The purpose of creation was a place of goodness, 
where we as stewards of that place both flourish and ensure that the world remains a good place to live. Mighty oceans, prodigious mountain tops, lush green pastures, rolling hills, gentle brooks and flowing rivers. The world is a good place. But in this era of climate change, maybe alternate images spring to mind of droughts and forest fires, turtles choking on plastic ice caps melting, species being made extinct. When the landowners' representatives come to collect the harvest, and rather than the rich vintage that they are expecting, all they discover is rotten, damaged, undrinkable. The only harvest they experience is violence from the tenants. The parable is seemingly clear. So many messengers come to highlight the original purpose of a vineyard to produce a crop for the landowner and for the world to be a place of human flourishing and where goodness prevails. But the messengers, the servants of God, are suppressed. The prophets come speaking truth amidst the lies and they are taken out. Their message is silenced. And so even when the landlord's son comes, his message is also dismissed and he is put to death. The purpose of creation is for goodness to flourish. But instead, the tenants seek to suppress and make it a place of pain and evil. The image of the people of Israel's vineyard was a familiar one and would have been to those listening to Jesus' parable for the first time. Of course, you're all thinking of Isaiah chapter 5. I'm, I'm glad you are, are on the same hymn sheet with me on that one. And the resulting identification of the characters as a result in the parable flows from that understanding. If the vineyard is Israel, then the landowner is God, and the tenants are the religious leaders, and the servants, the succession of prophets sent by God, and the son of the landowner is the very son of God. Jesus tells this parable in the presence of the religious leaders of his day, and they take offence because they know that the story is actually about them. It is a story about people played out in this example through organised religion in the time of Jesus. The temple where Jesus is offering this parable was wealthy by anybody's standards and those who were leaders within it oversaw the growth and use of that wealth. Wealth through offerings and expectations that were veiled in language about pleasing God, but were often not fundamentally connected to God's role and place in the community at all. Jesus once more makes the connection clear between people's God-given roles as custodians of God's generosity and abundance, and their tendency to then manipulate and control that to their own comforts and desires. It is a short step into self-justifying behaviour and beliefs 
that take God's gifts as personal possessions rather than as community assets to be shared and celebrated. For each of us, to varying degrees, greed lives within us. And in the process of yielding to greed, God is sidelined. Community becomes diluted. Boundaries around yours, mine and ours made more and more solid. Jesus, in this parable, is direct. In the past, the failings within that vineyard nation were seen to have been caused by neglect of God's ways. But Jesus says that here, the time of neglect is no more. Instead, he speaks of a deliberate attempt on the part of those entrusted with the life of the nation to take control of what was not theirs and destroy those who, in God's name, called on them to render account. Maybe our reading for today would do well to be heard of by climate change deniers, polluters, and those who thirst for power, and that they will cling on to that power through violence and corruption. Those who dishonestly use religion in the pursuit of their own interests. A reminder to them that they are, that they are put on this earth to pursue goodness and not malevolence or selfishness. Our parable offers us something else. We all yearn for justice, I hope. We hope that the tyrants, the despots and the crooks are faced down. We want there to be consequences for their depravity. After all, they have sown the wind. Is it not time to let them reap the world? I cannot tell how he will win the nations, how he will claim his earthly heritage, how satisfy the needs and aspirations of east and west, of sinner and of sage. But this I know, all flesh shall see his glory, and he shall reap the harvest he has sown. And some glad day, his sun will shine in splendour, when he the saviour, saviour of the world, is known. In our harvest time, let us give thanks to God, and remember that this world is good, and that we ourselves have been put on this earth for one reason, to do and to be good. Let us give thanks for those who offer their energies to ensure that we have sufficient food on our plates. Let us give thanks for all people of goodwill who seek to put their own lives and livelihoods and time and energies out for the protection of the vulnerable, for those involved in providing safe places for individuals and families fleeing from domestic violence. Today we remember especially give thanks for the work of our own local women's refuge here in Canterbury and the wonderful work that they do. And all of the donations we have received this week will be going to them later on in the week ahead. 
But let us not just give thanks. Let us use this harvest time as a time for challenge to ourselves. My question to you is, when the landlord's son comes to each of us to collect the harvest, what harvest have we got to offer? Will we be offering a, a sparkling vintage or sour grapes? Lives of goodness and humility or lives of greed and power? Jesus throws down a challenge for all religious people. And it's that same challenge for us this harvest time. Are the fields of our hearts producing a harvest pleasing in God's sight or not? And if they're not, do we have the courage to change, to produce the crop that makes the landowner happy? Where we need to change, may God give us the strength to do so. And where we are doing what is pleasing in God's sight, may God give us the faith to carry on this harvest time and forevermore. Amen.